industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello and welcome to this podcast brought to you by Quality Meat Scotland. I'm Mark Stephen. Last week I spoke to two folk, Stuart Ashworth from QMS and farmer Neil Jeffrey, about the importance of good fertility and efficiency in suckler herd production. Now Neil's been benchmarking his farm's performance for years, keeping meticulous records, measuring stuff, and he's found it's really made a big difference to his business. We touched briefly on something called pelvic scoring, and that's what we're going to follow up on this week, how it's carried out, what the potential benefits might be. So joining me this week are Robert Ramsey, who's a beef consultant for SAC Consulting. Robert's from a farming background, and he now runs the family farm in Ayrshire, in partnership with his mum and dad. He works across various projects, all aimed at trying to improve the efficiency of suckler cow systems. Stevie Rolfe is a cattle breeding specialist. His dad was a dairyman for 34 years, and when Stevie left school, he joined the same estate and very quickly specialised in AI. He's now got his own company, which does things like freeze branding, synchronised AI, scanning and pelvic scoring. And he reckons he handles, and obviously I'm using that term very advisedly, about 45,000 cows a year. Stevie, for a start, just describe the physical procedure. What do you do? Well, what you do is you rectal the cows by hand and you're looking for the shape and the size and any abnormalities in the pelvis to start with for suitability for calving. So essentially, you've got a shoulder-length rubber glove, more or less. You're going up the rear end of the cow. What does a good pelvis feel like? A good pelvis has got a symmetrical hole, roughly just slightly smaller than a football, so that the calf will slide out through it with no blockages or things that can hold the calf back from calving. The pelvis should be circular, but you do get abnormalities in the pelvis. So what does a bad pelvis feel like then? A bad pelvis can be either very small with the hole very small in the centre, right down to where you can even put four fingers through it, to where you'll get one side of the pelvis is the proper round shape, and the left-hand side or the right-hand side opposite could be just solid bone. So you've really got like a D or an inverted D shape to get the calf through with just bone structure growing into the pelvic area. And Robert, when did you first start pelvic measuring? We actually don't pelvic measure at home. Uh, what we've done is actually get the vet to assess like a, pre- a pre-breeding check rather than a, a formal pelvic score. But at Easter Howgate for, for SRUC, uh, we started uh, this year. And they have actually had some quite interesting results from that this year that basically we found quite a few heifers that would have would have bred fine, but wouldn't have actually been in a position to actually pass a calf through the pelvis. So we've been able to pull them out of the system, call them out quicker, and also save any welfare and financial costs down the line as well. Does that result in you actually keeping fewer breeding heifers or you just need to find other ones? Well, no, we actually kept a few extra, just knowing that we'd be drawing a few more out. So the beauty of doing it early on is that you can actually, you know, you're making that assessment effectively when the heifer calf is a, is a store animal. So you, you can actually assess assess more and select based on a suitability for breeding rather than have 
that small group and then have a few disappointments. Stevie, I mean, farming's not all about science. There's sentiment in it too. Are farmers ever tempted to hang on to heifers that have actually scored badly? Yes. I have one customer I do maybe 250 pelvic scores a year for, and he bought this very expensive bull and heifer when he was judging a bull and heifer show and sale. And I told him it was a really, really bad pelvis. Unknown to me, after I left the farm, he decided he'd spent that much money on it. He put it into the bull. Ten months later, he phoned me on a Sunday morning to say he would never do it again because he just lost the heifer and the calf. He's never done it again after that. And now, I mean, the consequences of it can be quite serious and presumably quite expensive. I wrote an article for ACC six, eight months ago. The difference between an elected caesarean and an emergency caesarean and the cost differences is phenomenal. I was out on a farm and the guy had decided to try and calve his heifers because he didn't go in with them very well. But it got to the stage when he couldn't calve them, they had to go for what is called a forced caesarean rather than elected caesarean. An elected caesarean was 250 to 300 quid, but resulted in a live calf and a mother probably in calf. A hard calving, it was a cost of it, it was 250 to £300, or more if a last resort was a C-section or cutting the calf out. Loss of calf for the replacement calf was 250 to 300 Replacement heifer, because you wouldn't go in calf, was 800 to 1000 And the loss of revenue, if, the, if it wasn't fostered, was the sale of the suckle calf at 800 quid. And Robert, it's early days yet, but uh, are there signs at this stage that pelvic measuring will improve the management of your herd? There's no doubt at Easter Howgate, basically what, what we've done is definitely improve management and, and will have a, a significant improvement or make a significant improvement to calving ease at the other end. We actually did a wee costing exercise of what, you know, the, 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 the cost of doing it versus the cost of not doing it. And when we add in potential Caesars, potential vet assists and things down the line, the cost of pelvic scoring these heifers was about £3.50. I think I'm right, Steve. Right, and the cost of not doing it, we reckon, was in excess of £10 per, per head eh, when you take all these costs in. So I think, that, without doubt, it's a really good management tool. While I've been eyeing the heifers at the SEC here, I used to pelvic score them as I was eyeing them. You used to kick out the bad pelvises, but by that point in time, they invested the money in the, the programme of, pro, of, kind of programming the cows to bring in heat before I'd actually picked them out. So you didn't get as much of a saving, but we still have done it for two or three years now. The manual examination that you described with a shoulder-length rubber glove, is that the only way of pelvic scoring? No. People can pelvic score using a set of what they call pelvic scoring calipers. But unless the cow stands perfectly, you can get like misreadings. I had one just recently, the farmer had got the cow's pelvic scored or the heifer's pelvic scored. And when I went to AI them, one of them, the pelvis was that small, I couldn't put my fist through it. It came back out a few days later and remeasured it because he wasn't very happy and did admit that the pelvis was very, very poor. The challenge with the, the calipers is you can get them done just with calipers and basically you're given a number, you know, given a, a measurement, a dimension. But when it comes to you know, a full vet check or, or Stevie checking them, you get so much more information other than just the pelvis. You get the uterus ovaries. You get the uterine track, you get the check of the ovaries, because like at the SAC, Eastern Howgate, with one, the heifer was about 18 months old and the uterine track, and it would be the, the size of a six-month-old heifer. And there's another one, it sits in one of her ovaries. So these are the kind of things you can kick out before you start breeding, because they're never going to settle anyway. 
Stevie, you must have done across your career tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of these examinations. You couldn't stand at a mart leaning over the rail, looking at beasts coming in as a lot and be able to judge. No, you can have the biggest cow in the world with the smallest pelvis and you can have the smallest cow with the biggest pelvis. And Robert, how about you? I mean, what other factors other than pelvic scoring do you consider when selecting breeding females? I think, I mean, that's probably back to good stocksmanship and, and things as well. So we would obviously look at the merits of the of the calf's mother. So, you know, what's the family history? What how how good has the has the mother been? And and this should, this isn't isn't really news to most farmers. That's that's what, what we've done for generations is selecting stock to to make improvements and drive things forward. So basically we, we select something we like the look of, something that's delivering the a that's suiting what the market's needing and something that's likely to produce a, lo- a long-lasting, efficient suckler cow. So something that's not too big, something that has, has all the traits you're looking for. With pelvic scoring and tools like that, it's really just it's another tool in the toolkit that we can draw in and, and allows us to make a slightly better selection. But I think that original stocksmanship skill is still so important. Is there an element of postcode lottery here, though, Stevie? Would all farmers in all corners of Scotland be able to access accurate pelvic scoring? It depends. Some vets are really good at it, some aren't. As for me, there's a, a guy called Dr. Basil Loman who wants to clone me so I can get working further around the country. As I told him, that's not allowed you. Careful what you wish for. I, and a lot of people probably wouldn't <laughs> want more than one of me. The pelvic scoring, a lot of people are now starting to switch on to it now. Whereas a lot of folk before, it was oh, cows are on the hill, no matter. But then they paid for it in March, April time with the calving. And not just the hassle of calving, but the financial cost of it as well, getting the vet out and everything else and the losses with it. So if pelvic scoring becomes the norm, if more and more people are adopting it, how many years do you think it'll be before you start to see it, if you could describe it like this way, the national herd in Scotland? You know, Because presumably the health, the ease of calving will increase. In the last three years, it has been a phenomenal uptake in pelvic scoring. It'll have went from maybe... 10% to 40% of the herd will score their heifers. It's, it's worth saying that the national herd, I think calving performance will be improving anyway because of things like lack of labour. There's, there's less people on farms and there's now, with that, we've probably had the, we've felt the pain of less labour and traditional systems, you know, harder calving systems. And there's an awful lot more people moving towards easier calving breeds and, and ha- you know, ha- more fertile breeds as well. So there is a, a general trend there, and that's the pelvic scoring will be one part of that, but I would expect to see you know, a significant improvement in, in calving ease over the next 10 years, just to, to account for that, to, to improve efficiency. And at the end of the day, we're, we're trying to produce more weaned calves, more kilos of weaned calf per cow going to the bull, and that's the, the only way of doing that is to make sure we've got live calves and plenty of them. And not any damaged cows, because if you've been having a hard problem calving your heifers, your heifer is knackered for life, and you're not going to get breeding off it again. Whereas if you don't have any hard calvings and your heifers are near enough it, your heifers recover quicker, get back and calve quicker, and they're therefore more efficient. Is there a general trend at the moment towards smaller animals? Probably, if you look at the efficiency of what we're what we're trying to do, there probably should be a trend towards smaller animals. You know, there's there's no doubt if we can get that cow closer to weaning half our body weight, it ticks so many boxes from a financial and a 
environmental perspective as well. If we can improve that efficiency by reducing the cow size a bit, that would be progress. I think the, the other thing, slightly altering cow size is the carcass weight limits as well. So we've now got 400 kilo dead weight limits in, in most abattoirs and the worms turning on that one. There's still a lot of big cows out there, but I think the, the, the trend will be a, a downwards trend. You see people are now selecting their bulls now, like the big Charlies, big samples. They're not just going for sheer size now. They're going for a bit more conformation, etc., and doing away with a wee bit of the length so they can finish them quicker to get them under this 400 kilo dead weight. Mm-hmm. And again, this is just curiosity on my part because I'm not an expert in this at all. Does this mean there might be a trend towards a return towards the use of more native breeds? I would say we're already seeing uh, that. It's happening. It's, there's a lot changing that way now. At this time of year, I'm doing an awful lot of synchronised AI. And years ago, you had a hell of a lot of continental breeds and everything else. Now, I would say 30 40% of them will be native breeds. And it's interesting as well because most of those native breeds are also going to a continental terminal sire. There's a, there's a lot of... You know, for an example, Ling Cow's going to a Charlie Bull and that, that type of system, and, and it, it seems to be meeting the, you're getting all the benefits of, of an easier, cheaper kept cow while also getting the output and the, the efficiency that comes with using a continental terminal sire. So it's, it's interesting, you know, across the country and across even just in, in different parishes, we've got totally different systems and they're, uh, they're working away fine. They've got their merits. So I don't want to tar everybody with the same brush, but there's definitely a move towards a few more native cattle out there. And coming back to the business of pelvic scoring, I suspect I know what your position will be on this, Stevie, but you would recommend it to farmers? Even if I wasn't doing it, I would recommend it. With me doing the synchronised AI, that's how I started doing it many, many years ago, and for the, the scanning, you would comment to the farmer, this cow will hardly calf, well, this heifer will hardly calf, it's got a really bad pelvis. And that's how I started doing it 15, 20 years ago. And then farmers started getting me to do it before they build them. And I know of one farmer who buys, I would call extreme heifers, puts them in calves and sells them calves at foot. And he used to have a multitude of pelvic problems. And he didn't know about it and had a lot of caesareans. And he's down to a handful, if not even just one or two a year now, with calves coming backwards, etc. than what he was before, like. The only thing I would add to that is that as, a, as an industry, we're very much in the spotlight and our consumers are an awful lot more aware of, of the welfare credentials that we've got, I suppose. And if we really want to sell Scottish beef as a high welfare product, we need to start looking at having ease and, and improve our performance there. A routine Caesar, you know, or an elective Caesar is a very important procedure from a welfare point of view. It's not something I would discourage anybody from doing this year, I think over the you know over the next few years, we need to be working hard to try and reduce the level of intervention at calving time to you know reduce welfare issues, and also with that, with less intervention, we actually indirectly improve fertility as well. Robert Ramsey and Stevie Rolfe, thank you both very much. Much obliged to you. No problem. Okay. Pleasure. Cheers. Adio. Cheers. If you'd like to catch up with previous episodes of this podcast, then just visit the QMS website and you'll find the link on their front page. Until the next one, I'm Mark Stephen. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit 
qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.